0: and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 192 of Linux in the Ham Shack. This will be our first episode where we don't talk a whole lot about Hamvention for some time now. My name is Russ, K5TUX, and across from me we have Cheryl, K-E-Zero, N-L-C.
1: Hello everyone.
0: Wow, it's still getting used to that actually.
1: <laughs> uh, well, it's going to change her hopefully uh, Yeah, hopefully soon, pretty yeah. soon.
0: And we also have from... Under a thunderstorm watch, Big Sky Country, Montana, Bill, and E4RD. Good evening, everyone. So, Hamvention's been over with for, mm, what?
1: Almost a month yeah, now. Yeah,
0: almost a month, not quite. Three so, minutes. we're going to kind of get back into our regular routine here, although things that came out of Hamvention will be popping up on the show uh, for some time to come, I think. We have an interview that Bill did tonight, which did that. That didn't come out of Hamvention, though. That was about AR Newsline.
2: Yeah, that was a little separate.
0: But I did line up a an interview with uh, the folks with Arden, A-R-E-D-N, uh, for next time. So we got that coming up and uh, lots more to do as well. So I guess we'll just move along and start off with our first segment for the evening, which is our amateur radio topics. And let's head down... Let's roll ourselves a fatty, head down to Jamaica, and not use Morse code anymore. Oh, was that, that for me? That's, that's your cue. That, yeah. yeah,
1: that's your cue. <laughs> Luckily,
0: we can cut all the crap where we where these miscues happen and stuff like that, and it all oh, sounds smooth and natural. So, See, you
2: should like tag names onto each one so <laughs> you know, ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> all okay. right. No more Morse code for tech radio operators and Jamaica Mon. No, they, that wasn't there. Jumby, anyway, amateur, <laughs> amateur radio operators and technicians will no longer be required to be proficient in the Morse code uh, as a result of changes to the regulations were two pieces of legislation which govern radio and telegraph control services. Director of Legal Affairs at the Spectrum Management Authority SMA, Ida Gay Warburton explained to the Regulations Committee of Parliament that Morse Code is no longer the primary means of transmitting information to critical agencies such as the Office of Disaster Preparedness and Emergency Management during national emergencies and disasters. Uh, One of the takeaways I brought from this was uh, the statement that uh, the uh, head of the JRAA said, which is, of course, uh, similar to the ARRL, uh, saying that uh, CW, it's really old, although a lot of us still practice it. But the young persons, the younger persons don't have the patience to learn. Morse code is not dead, but we need to get rid of it here. And basically, all he really meant to say was, we need more members. So there, this is a membership drive for the JRAA, so they can continue to grow that organization. Well, that's, that's exactly
0: from, what happened here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, it's because of all the weed down in Jamaica. It just happened slower because everybody was like... We don't need to worry about these right now, man, okay? Just reward me another. We we They <laughs> just need a lower like maybe one that. word per minute or
2: something. Like that. Right. Da
1: Do they can, can can we set this like, Morse code enough, transmission to
0: enough. a reggae beat, man? Can we do that? Can we, can we do a da 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 da? <laughs>
2: Oh, that's great. I have a friend that goes down to Jamaica every year. He loves it. Absolutely loves it down there.
0: (laughs) So jealous. (laughs) It's not that far away, actually.
1: Yeah,
2: strangely enough, he lives in Colorado. I'm not saying anything, but... (laughs) Well, they are kind of like... uh, Draw your own conclusions. We'd stay there. (laughs) Right. (laughs) There might be some relationship. I don't know.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, I know this is your story... But I'm going to read it anyway. So moving on from Jamaica, we're going to talk about the Boy Scouts of America, and the K2BSA, and the National Jamboree for this year. Uh, well, for this, uh, what do you call a four-year span? <laughs> <The presidency. laughs> some, some word for that? Yeah.
2: <laughs> some fancy word. Right.
0: Well, the Jamboree for the BSA happens every four years. And this year, it's at the Summit Betchel Reserve located in West Virginia, same as it was in 2013 and K2BSA of course will be there again. Are you going, Bill? You're not going, are you?
2: I'm going, yeah. Oh, you
0: are going. All right. Yes, All right. I will be there. That. I'll
2: actually be the social media lead. Social so, media uh,
0: lead. Very nice. It basically
2: means I get to walk around my phone and like uh, trip over stuff the whole time. Really
0: <laughs> cool. And you get uh you obviously don't get paid for that. This is obviously uh no, it's a volunteer effort. <laughs>
2: <laughs> cost me money to fly out there, cost me money to, you know, buy uniforms and everything else. And yeah, so it's, it's purely a, a volunteer effort. Um, yeah. so
0: Right. That's- well, that's because the K2BSA Amateur Radio Association is a nonprofit association that operates to support radio scouting activities and is considered the amateur radio station for the Boy Scouts of America's National Council. Uh, K2 BSA has been sponsored by Icom America, DX Engineering, and MFJ Enterprises, to name a few vendors we don't ever talk about, in this year's endeavor to have best ever set up to get scouts on the air, work on the Radio Merit Badge, and learn about the various aspects of the hobby. K2 BSA Group is being led by Jim Wilson, Kilo 5 November Delta, and a team of volunteers to organize and ensure the event that the event is a success. In addition to the merit badge work and demonstration stations, there will be a balloon launch, a contact with the ISS, ARDF, and even a SOTA activation. Oot, woot, woot.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to try to be on that SOTA activation too, so at least uh, be there to record and uh, you know keep track of the event and stuff like that. I believe there's only one peak there at, at the location, uh, but it is, a, it is a true SOTA peak, so uh, it'll be fun. We're going to try to do multiple activations on that peak while we're there. I just spoke to uh, our ARDF lead uh, over the weekend, which you'll hear interview from him later on in the show about a different product. Uh, and he's really excited uh, about everything. And, you know, they're they're getting set up to get all these kids to go out and find these, you know, uh, foxes and stuff like that in the, in the setup. Basically, they'll have like five or six uh, foxes out there, and these guys will go try to find as many of them as they can. So it won't quite be like an ADR, ADR ARDF championship or something like that, but very similar uh, co-mingling of uh, ARDF and fox hunting. So it's, it's going to be a really cool event.
0: And I don't think we actually said what ARDF was, which is amateur radio direction finding, just in case anyone didn't get that. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> it's just not, not in the text. And uh, is it just me that's figured out that we've talked about Colorado, Jamaica, balloon launching, and the ISS and soda, all of which are about getting high?
1: Uh, 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 whatever. <laughs> Let, let's Where's back- that song? We gotta play that song. <laughs> Let, let's back up a bit. um Regarding a four-year span of time, it's yeah. a quadrennium or a quadrennium. Oh. Quadrennium okay. or a tetramer.
0: Tetramer. T e t r i m e r. Tetramer. T
1: e t r a m e
0: r. Oh, tetramer. Interesting. Tetramer. All right, interesting. Stick that in your vocabulary, people.
2: Your <laughs> so words to know.
1: There you go. Words to
0: know that you'll never use. Tetramer. There you go. <laughs> or actually, you can you can bring that up at you know the jamboree. Yeah, I
2: should try to use that.
0: <laughs> you right. should definitely try and use that. You should say this tetramer. <laughs> <laughs> tetramer. <laughs> right. <laughs> so moving on from the Boy Scouts of America, there's a well was a VHF contest. The June VHF contest
2: I believe the ARL yeah AWRL sponsors that uh, having just come out a vacation myself, I really didn't get a chance to to plug in and participate, but my my emails were being inundated for the last two or three weeks of these six meter openings and if you're not on six meters, holy cow, you need to get on it <laughs> you know this is uh this is what's called the ease season, and basically there's there's just sporadic propagation that occurs and it just rotates around uh, the globe. So um, what we've linked here in the show notes is DX Maps. You can actually go on there, sign up, and uh, you can actually get emailed when uh, contacts are occurring relative to your area. And it'll give you the, the maximum usable frequency guess for that area at that time. And it's, it's, it's pretty accurate. Uh, most of the openings I've caught myself, I've caught because of the emails from DX Maps. And what's been really interesting is that we've had multi-hoppies uh, happening for at least the last week. I talked to Jim... Uh, from the scout thing the other day, and he worked Japan from uh, from Texas on six meters, and he had heard later on that evening someone got uh, someone got into I believe Taiwan or Vietnam or something like that on six meters, and uh, this morning I woke up, uh, you know, it was open to Europe from uh, the East Coast, so yeah, it's been it's been an exciting uh, uh, six meter uh, jump here for the last couple weeks, and it doesn't look like it's ending anytime soon, so. Get a piece of wire up in the air on six meters. It's only four and a half foot on each side for a dipole. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can can split a light cord and, and get, on, get on six meters pretty easy. Uh, it doesn't take much when the band's open like this. So uh, have some fun. Get on, the, get on six meters and higher. Six meters is fun. When it's open, it's crazy. And uh, considering 10 meters is closed,
0: <laughs>
2: in general, I have heard right. some uh, rare openings on, on 10. Uh, 10 also gets affected by, um, by the E-layer as well.
0: All right, so let's move on from our amateur radio topics and talk about some open-store stuff. we got a few security-related items to talk about tonight. So the first one is uh, malware infecting a bunch of things. I found another story about malware infecting Samba, um, the Samba cry virus that's doing the oh, same yeah. kind of thing that's being used for, like, digital currency mining and stuff like that. All kinds of weird stuff's popping up in the Linux realm these days. So you found this one for Pies, though.
2: Yeah, this is uh, Linux malware infects Raspberry Pi devices, making them cryptocurrency mining zombies. Hey, this is familiar. Yeah. If you're a Raspberry Pi user <laughs> who's never changed the default password of the Pi user, uh, then heed this warning. Change it. <laughs> the brand new piece of uh, malware has hit the web called Linux Drop 14, and it preys on those who haven't secured their devices properly. Once this malware installs itself, your Pi will be mining digital currency for the author, or you know, contingency, or you know, whoever <laughs> the, uh, the bad people. And this story came from Hot Hardware, and uh, yeah, like Russ said, there's also obviously a Samba one out there. But I mean, this is pretty odd stuff. If you're going to have a box on the internet. <laughs> Yeah, change those default uh, passwords. If you, you don't, you're You should an idiot. not have empty passwords and <laughs> you shouldn't have default passwords. You right. should you should change it. <laughs>
0: yeah. to something else. thing about default passwords, to- everybody knows what they are.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, this is this is this is simple 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 stuff. Be a responsible IoT device owner.
0: Secure your machines, don't use default passwords, you know, have some semblance of sanity when it comes to security. Patch things, upgrade when necessary, et cetera. Follow the rules. And also backup stuff. Don't be like yes. me. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
2: backup stuff before you do major upgrades.
0: Right. Yes, <laughs> definitely.
2: All right. Talk to us about Cubes. Cubes OS. So this is uh, something that uh, uh, my son's friend turned me on to. He had mentioned uh, mentioned he runs this weird operating system with a bunch of VMs and stuff like that. And I'm like, uh, what's it called? I don't know. It starts with Q. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I found it. Cubes OS. This is the one that... Uh, is recommended by uh, Edward Snowden. (laughs) So you know that's the popularity of (laughs) this So Cubes OS is a security-oriented operating system. The OS is the software that runs all the other programs on the computer. We all know this. Some of the examples, yeah, yeah, Mac, Windows, Mac, Android, iOS. Cubes is a free and open-source software. This means that every... That everyone is free to use, copy, and change the software in any way. It also means that the source code is openly available. Blah blah blah. Cubes takes this, (laughs) takes an approach called security by compartmentalization, which allows you to compartmentalize various parts of your digital life securely, isolated compartments called into isolated compartments called cubes. Now, basically, what this is is it it has a seamless way of uh, uh, integrating multiple virtual machines on the same OS. It was it VirtualBox or VMware that had seamless integration mode where like the window bars and everything else would go away?
0: Uh, that would be VirtualBox, I believe. Or right, well, vir- I think they both do it actually. They both have the ability to actually like embed your window so that they there's no borders. So it
2: appears that yeah, so it appears yeah. that it's on the thing. So so basically you set up different they call what they call domains in the OS. So you'd have your work domain and your personal domain, and I'm assuming you're also your porn domain, where <laughs> you have, you know, your browsers and your applications are isolated, including file systems and everything else, are completely isolated inside of these domains underneath the master OS that you basically boot that runs all these virtual machines, so that if one particular domain gets corrupted or malware or something, it doesn't affect everything else. So you know, let's say you just do your normal you know, browsing eBay and crap like that on your personal domain, but on your work one, you have just, you know, just work stuff. You don't, you don't want to browse locations that can be tracked by, you know, work, you know, web history, whatever. And you don't go to certain sites because you know that, you know, obviously you don't need to because of the work stuff is important or it's, a, you know, it's a secure and, uh, so it's it's interesting, and, like, so every window you have is wrapped in a certain color, so it actually has a border around it, kind of like the old seamless way, but it still has, like, a, a window wrap around it to indicate which, which particular domain that window is in. So, like, when you have your file manager open, you know, it'll have, like, your red color for home, if that's what you set it up for, and blue for work and stuff like that, and those files can't see each other. And the applications can't open files in the other domain. So it's kind of an interesting approach to security. It's not unheard of because obviously people do this now with with virtual machines themselves. But this kind of integrates it more into a seamless environment. And it looked really cool. I I didn't get a chance to install it. It is a 4-gig ISO image, so uh, a little large for me to (laughs) get up and running and stuff like that. But it, it looks kind of interesting if you're into that kind of level of stuff. I mean, I have just whole machines that I use for that stuff, so. Right. <laughs> so I don't quite go into the, you know, I have to have this one machine that runs all my crazy domain stuff, so.
0: Yeah, this does that sound was, interesting, though. I mean, if you're security-minded, it might be a cool thing to try. I might try it as well. A 4GIG ISO sort of assumes that everything is prepackaged. so uh, a security-minded ISO would mean that you would not be downloading data from the internet, because that is inherently insecure, so I Assume they vet everything, included all in the ISO. You download it, you know, do your MD5 sums and everything, and that way you can be assured that your install is not touching the internet and being corrupted in some way.
2: Right, and they have like a, a, a some kind of canary report or something like that that comes out and uh, you can test to make sure that uh, your software is the right versions and stuff like that.
0: Probably using some version of Tripwire or something something along those lines, or at least uh, having uh, sums of all the installed software. You can actually yeah. check. Um, I think we touched on, or I touched on this maybe a long, long time ago. There are actually uh, sums, package sums built into like the Deb repos. Like all of the files are checksummed. Yeah, and you can you can verify that your package installs are actually what you're supposed to to have, and that the the Deb's haven't been altered. And stuff like that so
2: right you'll see that too on on at least ubuntu systems they compare that md5 when they go out and sometimes they'll come across packages that especially if you have a lot of ppas installed some of those are sometimes not correct where the md5s are not the right package because they made a, a change or something like that and didn't push the md5s back out to their little ppa and it'll ask you do you want to install this this has not been authenticated the software has not been authenticated so do pay attention to that when you're doing an apt uh apt upgrade and apt update.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the MD5 sum or the idea of MD5 hashing is sort of slowly being deprecated. A lot of times now they're using SHA-1 sums and SHA-256 sums uh, yeah. for for better security, I guess. Uh, they're not not as um, forgeable as uh, MD5 hashes. So, well, that's that, I guess. <laughs> so try <laughs> cubes, which, by the way, is Q-U-B-E-S. I think you may have said that, but just to be clear. And a link to it, of course, will be in the show notes when I get around to doing those again. So moving on, I got a quick flash topic that I threw in here because I saw that the uh, Squeeze version of Debian 9.0 is actually officially going to be released very soon, on June 17th. That's uh, not even a week away at this point. Of course, Debian is a rolling release, so all of the packages have sort of been you know, released piecemeal as they come, but it will be packaged as the new stable uh, as of June 17th, so very cool there. And the only thing I included in here was the time was running out for packages with release-critical bugs, and those that will not be fixed will be removed by June 3rd, so that de- deadline's already passed. So uh, they're in the process of uh, closing down all submissions and um, putting a freeze on the distro, and it should be coming out, according to the Debian maintainers, on the 17th. I found this article in Computer World earlier today, and I was like, wow, this is really neat, and it's it's funny that I was reading the article, and it started off with like, here's this utility that most people who have been in the systems administration world for like ever and ever and ever don't even know about, and they really should, and I kind of feel that's exactly right. It's the jot command, which I had no idea the jot command existed. But the thing of it is, and it's funny that I saw this today because I was doing this very thing today. I was actually iterating over a sequence of numbers uh, in a script and I hand entered the numbers. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, all the way up to whatever it was that I was doing. And I, you know, I could have just called the jot function (laughs) and it would have done it for me. And I had no idea that this thing was out there. The jot function does a lot more than just that you can just start at one and iterate to some number of numbers. But you can also have it count sequentially with a certain step. Like, you can count uh, in steps of five. You can also have it uh, do random numbers, which is always nice. You know, I've always gone to a website like randomized.org or whatever and said, you know, here's a list of things and pick me a random number. Well, Jot can do that for you, just out of the box. And this is apparently something that's been around forever and ever and ever and ever and the thing of it is it's actually a unix command it's not a linux command so if you're running a bsd system for example or if you're running mac osx which is also bsd the jot command will be included in there and you can use it it can do floating point numbers you can actually use decimals and stuff like that and characters you can actually count through character sets using the ASCII character code, like 65 for A, 66 for B, so on and so forth. So it has a lot of, um, you know, functions in it, and it's been around forever, and I didn't know about it. And I'm probably going to be using this thing, like, every day from now on because I do this kind of thing a lot. And you can do a lot more with it. You can actually... Have it do strings and repeats like if you remember your old basic commands where you do like four x equals one to five or you know blah 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 and print something over and over again, or just do print hello world, go to 10, that kind of thing, uh, I can do stuff like that. again, it's a BSD command, not a, a Linux command, but it is packaged for Linux, and in Debian it's the Athena Dash jot package. I'm not sure where the Athena came in. I suppose I could have looked that up and figured it out, but I didn't bother. So uh, if you do Athena, if you apt install Athena-Jot, you will have access to the Jot command. But there's also a couple of commands that are in Linux systems uh, in the basic BSD tools that do similar things uh, that you can use. The first one is called shuf, uh, S-H-U-F. And what this does is it generates random things. Uh, You can use it for random numbers. You can use it for random strings, random character generation, and stuff like that, and uh, iterating over characters in a random sort of way. So that's a nice utility, too. Uh, You can do a man shuff to get all the details about how to use that if you want. And similar to the Jot command, but not quite as robust, that is available on Linux systems as well, is the seek command, S-E-Q, for a sequence. And that will allow you to do counting, you know, iterate over a list from one to some number. It'll do uh, random numbers. It'll do characters as well, and it will also do steps. Uh, so you can count from one to 100 and steps of 10, uh, so on and so forth. And you, you can also have it hand the output as strings to scripts uh, so you can use it as in uh, input and output redirects and through pipes and all that kind of stuff so i just thought these were uh, interesting utilities real simple things that people might have to use when they're doing scripting and it might save a considerable number of keystrokes uh, if you actually have to create iterative lists uh, in your bash if you um, need to call something that creates a list, uh, whether an ordered list or a randomized list, uh, all of these can be used to help you out. And like I said, this is something that's gonna help me out uh, help me out a lot, so I figured it might help someone else out a lot too. So check out Jot, Shuffle, and Seek. You can do man's on all of those. And like I said, if you're using a Linux system, at least on Debian, the package is Athena-Jot if you want to use Jot.
2: Yeah, I believe Chef and Seek are already in, already in Ubuntu, but you would have to install Jot separately.
0: Yes, uh, on my Debian system, I'm running Debian 8 on most of my machines. Seek and Shuf were both installed, um, and Athena-Jot dash you know, got me Jot. So so I have nothing else to say about that. Just thought it might be handy for someone. So moving on from our open source topics, we're going to move into Linux in the HamShack. Now we're going to talk about this interview you mentioned earlier in the show. So uh, set this up for us.
2: So yeah, this is an application called Net Control Manager, and the Net Control Manager is a program that was designed to make amateur radio net check-ins, management of resources, and reporting easier and more efficient than using pen and paper. This is not meant, however, to be a replacement for pen and paper, which is always your be your best backup should something go wrong. So uh, I had an interview with the uh, the author of this, Keith Kaiser, W A Zero T J T about the software and his hopes to get it into a, a GitHub repo this summer at uh, National Jamboree when we have some downtime that we probably won't have. <laughs> but uh, I did spend some time with him on the, on the phone, so the recording is, is, is phone quality, but uh, we'll go ahead and roll it for you now.
3: My name's Keith Kaiser, W-A-0-T-J-T. I uh, live in Kansas City, Missouri. So I've been working on a net control program, net control manager type program, for the last several years. Uh, we use it locally, and, and quite a number of the groups in the area use it, and uh, everyone seems to like it a lot. Net Control is a uh, it's a program that anybody is welcome to go use. You go to net-control.us. I guess I'm supposed to say the HTTP part, but, you know, if you don't know that by now, then you haven't been around the net.
2: <laughs> exactly, and it, it resolves to an HTTPS site, so it's fully secure.
3: Yes, <laughs> it's fully secure, and it is uh, open to anybody to use. Anybody can use it if they want to. If they uh, they can look around all they want, if they're on the first page and they see the uh, drop down and all that uh, to select an existing net, it'll show all the the nets. Actually, shows the last 60 days worth of nets. I I keep all of the nets, but uh, in the database, but I only show the last 60. And uh, you can pick one and take a look at it. Uh, if you change something, it's going to be permanent. So please don't change anything. Uh, if you want to start a net, though, if you want to see what it looks like to actually use it, I recommend you hit the blue button at the top there that says "Select uh, Start a New Net." Excuse me, "Start a New Net." From there, uh, put your call sign in at the top, and on the very second uh, drop down there, there it'll say "Select the call sign, and name of the net," and the very first thing that will come up is "TE0ST Test." Use that one and and uh, play play with it to your heart's content. In fact, please do. Do everything you can think of with it. I'd be very interested in hearing any problems you have, any successes you have, anything you have about it that um, you'd like to see changed, whatever. Let me know. There's an extensive help file over up in the upper right-hand corner of the, the main screen if you look at it. And uh, again, if there's something missing from there that you wonder about or you think would make be clearer if you if I rewrote it, let me know that as well. I want everybody to have a chance to take a look at this and uh, let me know what they think. We will be running a, a standalone version of it from a Raspberry Pi at the summit. Uh, I've only chosen that method so that if we lose our Internet connectivity, we will still have a, have one to, to, to work the net that evening. But it'll be running on a Raspberry Pi. And the only difference between it and the production version, if you will, is the database behind it. It'll be a little more limited on the uh, some at Reserve as opposed to being out there in the world. Uh, so what can I tell you about it? I mean, uh, I've had a good time writing it. It's just been a fun project for me. I'm not a professional web developer by any means, but uh, I think it works pretty well. It's all written in fairly basic code, uh, uh, HTML, JavaScript, and PHP with a MySQL database in the background, and uh, I've tried to stay away from making it too complicated.
2: Yeah, do you ever plan on uh, releasing it as a source project or anything?
3: Well, I would love to make it a standalone product project, but I honestly don't have any idea how to go about doing it <laughs> it's
2: a very common comment uh,
3: <laughs> i i, I don 't really know what how to go about making it standalone and I would be very insistent that it be cross platform in any case i I very much believe in cross platform programming if it runs on windows that 's fine if it, but it better run on Mac and Linux at the same time and if it doesn't then uh, yeah i have a slightly lesser lesser respect for the program <laughs>
2: <laughs> well that's right up our right up our alley here <laughs> so yeah being a web driven application obviously it should be able to run in, in pretty much any environment at least for the uh, user side the ui side of the application the back end being php mysql and and javascript and stuff like that 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 should be pretty much transportable to just about any uh,
3: Yes, in fact, I I did the original development of it on a Raspberry Pi. My my original goal was to play with the Pi, uh which I I uh, endorse completely. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, it is the most fun in programming I've had in many many years and I've been a professional programmer for 40 some years and the Pi came along and I I went out and bought myself one and I have had so much fun with it. So, uh yeah, I can hi- highly recommend the Raspberry Pi.
2: Yeah, yeah. At uh, Hamvention, we had a lot of people come to the booth and talk to us about their uh, Raspberry Pi and that their first uh, first entrance into the world of Linux running uh, Raspbian.
3: Oh yeah, I suppose. Well, I, my exposure to Linux prior to that was the fact that uh, everything I do is on Mac. So uh, Mac being Linux being pretty much the background of Mac. Yeah, we won't get into <laughs> <laughs> details here, but. It pretty much is, and I've been I've been a Mac guy since uh, 1987 when they first came out. Oh, and uh, I, I really believe in cross-platform programming regardless of where you did the original development. And uh, moving everything to every platform is the way it really should be. And uh, if you're writing for one platform, then you're leaving out a whole lot of audience.
2: Well, yeah, this looks like a really great application, and uh, if you're running a net, you know it seems simple enough to, to use. It has a great login interface or logging interface. Um, gives you just about every type of. Uh, <laughs> I guess you can customize it based upon the uh, the nets and stuff like that. I see like some of these have uh, tactical call signs and stuff like that.
3: Yes, the tactical call signs are. Uh, uh, you can change them to make to be whatever you want them to be. Uh, so, for example, if you're running a I don't know a weather net, and you've or yeah, and you've stationed somebody at some intersection. You can put that down as their intersection name, or a bike bike race maybe, and they're a, a sag. They're the tag number two. You can put in sag number two as their tactical call. Whatever you need to do, there works just fine. There's a, a, a couple of fields that are not editable, but uh, uh, that's the TT number. For example, that uh, think of it as the ID. For now, it's. It has to do with some dire wolf uh, programming that I've done in the past and for position locations. And uh, that's a whole other storyline. If you haven't talked to the guy who invented dire wolf yet, you need to talk to him, too. It's a neck control is still in development. I change something in it almost every day. So (laughs) most of the time, it's something in the background you don't see, but I do change something almost every day, even if it's just to clarify the help file or something like that.
2: Yeah, so you should push that out to uh, to GitHub or something like that, and a source control environment where people can, can, can look in and I on would it and love stuff. To.
3: <laughs> I would love to. I just need to know how to do that. I've tried to do that. I actually have a GitHub account and everything, and every time I try to figure out how to make that work, I I fail miserably. So we'll <laughs> be Maybe you and I can get our heads together while we're out there and show me how to do that.
2: Definitely, definitely. I, I, I need some practice too. I, I I most of my projects have always been for for uh, business and closed source and stuff like that. So I, I haven't done too much stuff where I actually push it out to get I, I also too have a, a GitHub account that's it's pretty empty. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> and that that it's just you know, it's supposed to be real simple and I'm sure it is once you understand how to do it, but not having a mentor here to, to sit, sit and show me how to do it i uh i have not been successful on making it work yet
2: we'll, we'll figure that out together and we'll uh we'll get that posted that'll, that'll
3: be a, a nice reason there you go bill that's uh that's a promise i'm gonna hold you to <laughs>
2: yeah very-
0: he said sit and show and i don't think he said that the first time i think he actually got a swear in there oh did he <laughs> <laughs> uh the time uh, it will tell <laughs> <laughs>
2: I have to go back and listen to it. I don't know. <laughs> I think he corrected himself, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Might uh, have just came out wrong.
0: I think it just came out wrong. Yeah, I don't think he meant it intentionally, certainly. So, no, mm.
2: no. It was it was a it was a good conversation we had. I, it was a little, obviously longer than that. We we talked on and I tried to chop it all together here shortly before the show.
0: So
2: <laughs> he's a great guy and and obviously uh, is all about uh all about doing things for the for the hobby and stuff like that. So, uh, check it out net control uh, net dash control dot us is the website and it's pretty slick it's 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 simple but but slick so
0: all right I'm gonna take a look at it because I'm curious I've done some net control type work in the past and it'd be kind of nice to have a little helper application i've always kind of done it from memory or you're handed a little script and you know you're supposed to read off of that and do you know the best you can and and just kind of control the net the way you think it ought to be controlled but uh having having some good uh utility in front of you would be handy i think
2: yeah yeah check it out
0: very good well we're going to move on to uh an interesting kind of uh Linux in the hamshack topic, and I'll see if Bill can figure out how this relates in a second. Uh, <laughs> but that is that uh, Toyota is to, intru- to introduce. Yeah, let's try it. Shut up, Gary. Toyota is to introduce open source. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Tourette's is kicking in. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> For several years, manufacturers' war has migrated to infotainment systems, causing very high development costs. To solve this particularly complex puzzle, Toyota has chosen to introduce, in its Camry 2018, a new open-source Linux system devoted to the automobile. The automotive-grade Linux, AGL, which will later be adapted to most Toyota and Lexus vehicles, was designed by a team of 100 engineers as a very flexible base material for the rapid design of new systems infotainment. As a result, Toyota said in a statement that such a shift would focus on innovations. And this actually came uh, from a story out of the Quebec Times out of Canada. And uh, so, so did you get the relevance? Why this is in the Linux and the ham shack segment? No, <laughs> uh, I knew I would stump you. No, it's okay because a car can very much be a ham shack. A lot of people do uh, mobile operations, so. That is using Linux in your ham shack.
2: Oh, I see. You see
0: how I snuck that in there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was just a reset. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, I was almost gonna put a put a the story about the the uh, self charging road. <laughs> so, oh, <laughs> as, the- as possible EMF issues for uh, for us in in the amateur radio section. But I was like, yeah, just it's a stretch. <laughs>
0: I actually had never heard of self-charging roads, but I can see how it would translate to electric vehicles going down the road, not having to plug into charging stations using the same technology, presumably, that does the wireless charging for phones and stuff like that. Uh, yeah,
2: so They have some test roads and stuff like that, and uh, it's a, it a pretty interesting story. They're talking about where they're testing it and how, many, how long the roads are and stuff like that and where they're moving it to. And I, I forget all the details. It was either in like Sweden or Japan or something like that, but...
0: It's probably going to go the same way as like transmission and uh, power, you know, transmission over power lines and all that BPL, kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah BPL. BPL.
2: I just read the one article. I know I've seen articles in the past about it because I, I get that crap in my uh, news all the time. But I, I didn't read much about the article because I was, I was just kind of vetting it. <laughs> right. And then I was like, ah, yeah, I can't remember if I saved it or not. Probably didn't even save it.
0: Oh, I imagine it'll come into you know part 15 or part 97 type acceptance you know issues before too long because you know anything that deals with power and magnetism and sending rf anywhere usually winds up in the amateur radio world somehow
2: eventually it always ends up in our lap
0: yeah and it's just going to be a matter of are we going to push them out or are they going to push us out that's pretty much how it goes
2: <laughs> yeah, i almost think it was on slash dot or something like that
0: well that sounds like the right kind of place for that story especially yeah, when it's it. experimental
2: Obviously, it's not called the self-charging road.
0: (laughs) It's called something else. (laughs) My keywords are not working. Um, Well, it's not the road that's charging.
2: Israel tests wireless charging roads for electric vehicles. It was in Scientific American.
0: Oh, very good. Like a reputable source. Nice.
1: I think this is not necessarily the
0: article, but they're talking about
2: this particular article in the other article. Because they had mentioned this as like the Israel was the test case, and now they're doing a test road somewhere else.
0: All right, so just remember, like, whenever we're stuck from now on, anything that has to do with cars can be used <laughs> in this segment.
2: Yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at an article for money.cnn.com from 2015.
0: Oh, CNN, they're not reputable. That's, that's, that's junk media. News. That's fake Come news. Come
2: jeez. Yeah. Get with the program. <laughs> <laughs> it says
1: the British government is uh, rolling out, yeah, roads that will, you know, help drivers with electric and hybrid cars by recharging as they drive, so... That,
0: Sweet. That would be a super handy technology. I mean, because that would make electric cars essentially better... If it charges your
2: phone mm. while you drive, too. that's
0: As long as your car is being charged, your car can charge your phone, right? I mean, so... Oh, no, that's true.
2: I guess you could transfer it, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, assuming that this is widely deployed, that would make your electric car essentially not need any refueling at all, which would make it better than a gasoline-powered car because you'll always have to stop and fuel those up. So,
2: However, if you're wearing a tr- pacemaker, you may be uh, quarantined to the sidewalk. <laughs> That's true.
1: <laughs> I can't drive my car, right. but... Uh,
0: if you
2: have a
1: heart can't
0: problem... You too
2: close to the street, honey.
0: Uh, I can't leave my house. Everything is, you know, wireless now. So. <laughs> I guess zap, you can just plug, zap, zap. plug your heart into your car, I guess. Yeah, and, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Let's go play some music. Again, I, I stole some music from the Bugcast because... because This is by a group called Vitney. I, I assume that's how you pronounce it, V-I-T-N-E. They're uh, a band of three out of California. This came out in January of 2017. And I really enjoyed this track like I did for the last show we did. This is called Lost and Found. It's off the album Make Believe. And I'm going to go ahead and play it now. good we're gonna listen to it a second time
2: play it again <laughs> it actually was really good
0: that's the kind of song that if i was in my car i could feel my foot getting heavier actually so lost and found by vitney from the album make believe three minutes and 46 seconds came out in january 2017 and thanks once again to dave and caroline over at the bug cast for playing some great tracks that i can steal from them uh but that of course came from gemendo it is creative commons music so very, very, very good, and I'm gonna to have to go listen to some more from them because that was a great track. So, moving on from that, we still have tons and tons and tons of feedback that we have to get to, but we're not gonna to get to it this time. <laughs> uh, but it'll <laughs> be do, irrelevant soon. It is gonna be irrelevant soon. I'm, I'm trying. I really am. But we do have one that I got to get to before it's completely irrelevant. <laughs> So we'll do this one. It's a voicemail from KA2PBT, I think is the call sign. At least I hope I remember the call sign correctly. He's going to tell us uh, here in a second (laughs) as soon as 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 I bring it up. But we got a voicemail, and you'll know what this is about when you hear it. So this is all the the feedback we're going to do for this episode because this one really doesn't need to hang out there any longer.
3: Hi there, it's Rob, KA2PBT. From the 721st Mechanized Contest Battalion, also known as WC2FD. Just wanted to let you know that Cheryl's call sign popped up on the ULS database. And she has been assigned Kilo Echo Zero November Lima Charlie. Um, Nice lady, Cheryl. (laughs) NLC. Pretty cool. Well, congratulations. And uh, talk to you guys later. Bye now.
0: So information we already knew but it's kind of neat to hear it from them too and he's the, i guess he's the one who came up with the nice lady cheryl
1: he was the one who actually <laughs> was in charge of right he was the doing testing. the testing yeah. right
0: and he also came up with newly licensed cheryl too as well oh, for,
1: I thought, for I thought joel came up with that was that joel i think that was joel that oh okay that. well sorry I
0: thought that was joel. me well, Ari, maybe you <laughs> was hey, it <laughs> bill let me pull up
1: the
2: irc chat log all right are you gonna do, uh
0: are you gonna claim that one
1: He might Uh,
2: depends on the date and time.
1: (laughs) Well, it would have been within hour, basically hours of us getting home, because Uh, I think it popped up on Monday, Monday morning. I think is when I got the text from him. So, so I yeah,
2: I said on I don't know what it was. was (laughs) It's (laughs) fifteen (laughs) twenty nine. It's right when I changed the topic.
0: (laughs) All right, so uh, last
2: show, and I said newly licensed Cheryl. (laughs) If,
1: okay, there if you someone
0: go. else wants to claim it and, and tell Billy he's full of crap, <laughs> yeah, we're all we're all about that. So, <laughs> right now we're going to talk about some more corn. We talked about corn in the last episode. We're going to do corn again in this episode. Well, yeah,
1: because this is kind of along the same lines.
0: Okay, well, so yeah.
1: Anyway, so today's recipe is grilled corn salad. I picked this because it is it is a favorite of mine for barbecues and cookouts and things like that. For this recipe, you need some freshly shucked corn, a green pepper, some Roma tomatoes, a diced red onion, some cilantro, some olive oil, and salt and black pepper. I also throw in real bacon bits, but that's just me because everything around here is better with bacon. Oil your grate on your grill and grill the corn until it starts to roast. Cut it off the cobs, mix it all with all your stuff, and let it sit in the fridge eh, overnight. is good. And you've got a lovely corn salad for your next day's barbecue or whatever
0: you have. I believe Bill mentioned corn salad when you we were talking about the elote last time. Well and I was saying yeah, yeah, corn salad a lot it. last summer. <laughs> yeah. Right.
1: Yeah, because yeah, I turned the elote into elote in a bowl. Yeah, it was the yeah, name right, of it. So right. and it just happened that like two days after I did the recipe, we were in Springfield, Missouri, and there is a Mexican food truck there that has elote in a bowl. I was like well, I guess the next time I want a lote in a bowl, I know where to go. <laughs> yep,
0: straight into the kitchen and make it yourself. No. <laughs> okay. So if you want some more corn, try out the grilled corn salad. And if you want to check out last episode's elote, you can do that as well. All very good ways to eat corn. Of course, there is no bad way to eat corn as far as I'm concerned. I think it's my favorite vegetable. So Is it? I believe it actually is.
1: I thought Brussels sprouts were your favorite vegetable.
0: No, I really do like Brussels sprouts, but corn is my favorite
1: and beets are your least not even favorite gonna that's of. right yeah yep. <laughs> absolutely at the beets. Other end of the suspension.
0: <laughs> right
1: i love beats and he's just like Bleh. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: okay i am going to do a quick i'm going to try and make this as quick as i can uh whiskey corner and the thing of it is um i picked for tonight the brewclotic port charlotte and i couldn't find it on the website but for some reason i feel like i've done it before this is a Port Charlotte Heavily Peated Scottish Barley Single Malt by Bruichladdich. They don't have age statements. Like last week's, this is a light golden color, very gold color, not a deep caramel, but a light color. And this is an Isla. I'm going to put my nose to it. It has a nice briny peaty. Uh, I know it's a super high peaty. It's like 40 parts per million, I think is what it said it was on this. So it definitely has that campfire smoky woody smell to it. Lots of nice sweet citrus and vanilla and caramel and lemon. I don't know. It's not super complex on the nose, but um, very nice. I really like Islas anyway. But like all Islas, you get the nice peat, the nice smoke, the nice salt, nice brine. There's a little floral note um, and a little like cilantro, a little lemon citrus, maybe a little orange zest. But yeah, I definitely get lemon, uh, lemon zest, uh, cilantro, uh, some floral note, um, maybe a little lavender, um, and the brine, the salt, peat, smoke, wood, oak, all that. Very characteristic Isla Scotch, uh, and a very nice blend, and uh, surprisingly drinkable for the fact that it's 100 proof, actually.
1: The tasting notes on it are listed as heavy peat smoke, crust, Crushed seashells and plump. Dates. I have never tasted a crushed seashell yeah, I so. either. So and plump dates, giving way to a palette of vanilla toffee, smoky sweet barley, and a citrusy finish mellowed by oak.
0: Yeah, I, I had most of those, and I probably I, and I said caramel on the nose. I didn't really get that on the taste. Toffee, I didn't really get either. But the rest of it, I think, I got. So. Okay, so there's that. So alcohol by volume, it's 100 proof, 50%. It's an Isla Scotch. Color is a light golden color, Uh, not very deep caramel. Nose already got through. Taste, we already got through. Cost, I think, was about... 70. I don't think we paid 70 for it.
1: 65 to 70.
0: I think because it is so strong, it's not, like, real high on my favorites. I mean, I do love Islas, but it's not, like, one of my favorite Islas. Uh, maybe a little water would help a little bit to sort of cut down on the heavy alcohol of it and I don't have any water to to do that with uh, but based on my tasting tonight I'm gonna give it uh an 87 which I think is the same rating I gave to the the whiskey last time but that, that's that's right in that same sort of category so uh, and uh, I think you can get it for about sixty dollars a bottle you know if you shop around so there you go. That's the uh, Bruclodic Port Charlotte Single Malt Isla, maybe Scotch, whiskey. <laughs> so, uh, moving on from that, we have the social media roundup. So, you want to hit the social media roundup?
1: Sure. Subscriptions Jonas Rulo, Robert Doherty, Michael Connolly, Michael Aiello, Kevin Murray, Bill Stearns, Robert Halliday, James Blocker, Scott Pettigrew, Doug Redder, Alan Wilson, Ronald Ikey. Bob Yerkey, Wayne Carpenter, John Clark, John Fotsky, Stephen Saner, Jeremy Hall, Donald Gover, Dylan Engel, Robert Pitts, Johnny Kinsey, Edward Donnelly, Charlie Brown, Brian Smith, Bill Pioter, Christopher Weaver, Darren King, and Paul Griffith. For Facebook, we have Ken Nowinsky, Denton Larson, Corey Shields, Glenn Packer, Noah Adamson, Sean Robinson, Nicholas Rondeau, Mike Jacobs, Jim Lindemann, Steven Richardson. For Google+, Plus, we have Anthony Ortega and Billy Jones. And Twitter is up to rest this week.
0: Yep, because I could not get all of these in there. So let's go. We have at Izirlei, I-Z-I-R-L-E-I. We have at HSDback917Alonzo. We have at Sabernuts, at survivalfarm Two. At Carl XBMC, at underscore CRV, at Glen AK4HA, at Open Source, at KWF Dave, at Skeder App, at W0AMT, at Silicon Armada, at T Colin at ETECH181, at KG5CSE underscore Jared, at K7MJG, at PABUT, PABUT, at K A two P B T at W C two F D at F J Chellin at Call K nine T I E at Ben Montour at K two F N at V E three R H F at Paula seven four eight two nine four eight zero probably a ghost account at Ham Weekly at K A four R C V at O S Legal at Augustine W Tab. At CPAK2 at N8BD underscore at SteveRE three seven six nine eight six four four probably bogus at underscore K1OS underscore at T0X1CBLOODZ which is Toxic Bloods if you're reading leet speak uh, at ARRLNNJ the new Northern New Jersey ARL section didn't really have a Twitter account but okay. Uh, at ZB2 Tango Tango, very nice. And at David Lindblad. Okay, that's it. I got them all.
1: <laughs> Woo! Yeah, I also looked up the Scotch thing while you were doing that. It's not uh, very long.
0: Okay, <laughs> you can talk about that after you <laughs> yeah. finish. All right.
1: Okay. YouTube was uh, MJWH205 Scott Charles Susan Seaford. Nobody joined us on our mailing list. Uh, we
0: did have someone on the mailing list. Uh, we had. V-A-2-T-W-T-Gordon, V-A-2-D-W-T, T-W-T. Yeah, I think that was it. Okay. This is not counting Hamvention, which... Oh, yeah, yeah, I am Yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah, sure. no. <laughs> yeah there, that's going to take a, bazillion us a month. Of those, yeah. right? so.
1: And there were no merchandise sales, so...
0: All right, but I almost have the merchandise up on the website. I've got the shop going. I just got to figure out the shipping and the payment. and that will be ready to go okay so tell us about scotch real quick okay
1: so in order for it to be considered scotch it must be produced at a distillery in scotland from water and malted barley to which only whole grains of other cereals may be added all of which have been processed at that distillery and mash converted at that distillery to a fermentable substrate only by endogenous enzyme systems fermented at that distillery only by adding yeast, distilled in an alcoholic strength by volume of less than 190 U.S. proof, wholly matured in an excise warehouse in Scotland in oak casks of a capacity not exceeding 700 liters or 185 U.S. gallons for at least three years, retaining the color, aroma, and taste of the raw materials used in and the method of its production and maturation, containing no added, added substances other than water and plain caramel coloring, and compromising a minimum alcoholic strength by volume of 40% or 80 US proof at finish.
0: I thought you said that was going to be short.
1: Uh, you want me to read <laughs> you the rest of the No, page? no, I really that, don't. That so, is the legal <laughs> definition of scotch.
0: Okay. Well, I don't so, know. I don't know if this bruclotic Port Charlotte, meets all of those requirements, it does. but it does. Okay. So yes, it's scotch. So. There we go. All right. So that's it. We're going to move on. We're going to shut down the show and we'll come back with episode number 193 in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, but until that time, I can, uh, let's see, do we have anything else to talk about? Is there anything going on in the chat room? I think the chat room was like completely dead tonight, so. Yeah, it kind of died. Yeah, kind of died. Although Jim, 7J1AJH was in there, uh, Don, KB2YSI was in there, uh, we had as many as 17 listeners on the feed, uh, for a little while, so but that's they just didn't cool. want
1: to come to the chat then room. Then we
0: scared them all the way.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and ran
0: them all off. It was
1: Russ's coughing there in the beginning.
0: My you know? coughing. yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, yours. Yeah, okay, fine.
0: (laughs) So anyway, I'm going to push this little button here, and then I'm going to say, you can become an LHS ambassador. Visit the website for upcoming events and information on how you can represent Linux in the Ham Shack at a nearby LinuxCon or HamFest. We love feedback. You can email us at info at LHSpodcast.info. Comment on an episode on the website. Post on Google+, Facebook, or Twitter. Or leave a voicemail at one nine zero nine lhs show That's 1-909-547-7469. You can visit our IRC channel, Octothorpe LHS Podcast, on the Freenode Network and subscribe to our mailing list. Show merchandise from coffee mugs, t-shirts, as well as clocks and lots of other stuff can be purchased at wwwcafepresscom Podcast and very soon on our very own website. You can also help out the show by clicking on the sponsored ads in the right-hand column of the homepage. And please do that. Do it often. Listen live every other Monday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. That's early Tuesday morning, 0100 Zulu in the summer and 0200 Zulu in the winter. Our recording schedule and countdown timer to the next episode are on the website. And that website is http which contains everything you ever wanted to know about the show. Thank you to all of our listeners, live and quasi-live, past, present, and future, and to those who have given their time, their ears, their shares, their money for the show. We appreciate each and every one of you. It's what keeps everything rolling along. If we didn't have listeners, we wouldn't be doing it. So, you have been listening to episode number 192 of Linux in the Ham Shack. I'm Russ, K5TUX, coming to you from Studio 3D in Southwest Missouri. And also from Studio 3D in Southwest Missouri, we have Cheryl, KE0NLC.
1: Good night, everyone.
0: And from, he didn't blow away quite yet, Big Sky Country, Montana, Bill, NE4RD. 73, everyone. And we'll see you in two weeks' time. Take care, everybody. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is WCOJ where the static is.